Although I cried at the end of the dirty dozen. Well, who did Because Jim Brown was throwing these hand grenades down these air, air shafts, and Richard Jekyll and Lee Marvin were sitting on top of this armored personnel carrier that dressed up like Nazis and oh, like yes. Treaty Lopez. Treaty Lopez. <laughs> he busted his neck when they were parachuting down behind the Nazi lines. Stop it. Richard Jekyll at the oh. beginning he had on his shiny helmet because he was the MP. Please, no more. Oh, oh God, I love that movie. We were the only two people at this revival house in Rome mm. for a midnight showing of bringing up baby. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Casablanca? Same thing, except no Nazis. Oh. Husband was a movie freak. Actually, he was particularly obsessed with one movie, The Wizard of Oz. Talked about it constantly. John Wayne was tall. Dustin Hoffman was five six. Would you want to see Dustin Hoffman save the Alamo? It's always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequin shirts. You know, Fred, you should run some of the classic horror movies like Frankenstein or Dracula. Yeah. All the great horror movies are in black and white. Any man, woman, child could buy their ticket, walk right in. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cobwebs Podcast. This is the podcast where we are dusting off classic cinema to see what it has to offer today. Uh, we definitely mostly talk about movies that came out pre-1970s, and if you haven't noticed, our last couple of episodes have been on movies from the 1960s, and that is what we're doing today as well, and actually what we're doing next week, too. So we're kind of doing a whole month of the 1960s, which I think has been really, really fun, and hopefully this episode continues that trend. Uh, today we are talking about, well... I don't know a better way to say it than to say we're talking about tough guy movies, uh, focusing on The Dirty Dozen from 1967, directed by Robert Aldrich. And joining me here today is uh, somebody I'm super excited to have on the show. I actually haven't had him on the show by himself in a long time. Like he was on our Action Fest episode recently. Uh, he came on with Anthony King to talk about Warner Archive Blu-rays a while ago. But yeah, it's been a while since it was just Matt and I on Cobwebs. And uh, well, I just gave away his name right there. It's Matt Bledsoe. What's going on, man? <laughs> Hey, Daniel, how's it going? I'm very excited to be flying solo again on Cobwebs. It has been such a long time now that I think about it. I Was it Dracula has risen from the grave? Was that the last time? I think that's the last time I've been here by myself. And I love doing episodes with, you know, even more people, but I'm excited to be back and just talking one-on-one. -on -one. But yeah, it's been, that was like a, almost a year ago, really. If, yeah, so it's been a while. That <laughs> has been a while. Um, okay, so before we jump into the movie and everything, though, uh, while people are still listening, in case we say something that pisses people off and they turn it off, uh, <laughs> do you want to just tell people a little bit about Film Feast and maybe about specifically this really cool series you're doing that I, I think I was just on an episode on. I think that will be posted by then. <laughs> I think you will be on that. Uh, yeah, so before this is posted. So, yes, Film Feast uh, generally is just a movie podcast where we have very casual discussions um it's kind of always i always joke that it's like a tough sell because there's no real gimmick or kind of angle because we but i love talking about all kinds of movies so i've really opened it up to talk about anything and everything um and i love just i have guests on every week and we just talk about just a different kind of movie and just i love talking about movies so i just open myself up to everything and the thing you're mentioning specifically is that uh the one angle gimmick i do have is that i started a monthly ongoing series on um, director Tony Scott called Unscottable, uh, which has been so much fun to do and such a joy because I love Tony Scott. I feel like he's a director that a lot of people know and, you know, have probably a fan of a couple of his movies, things like that. But I feel like he's still kind of massively underrated and unfortunately passed away in 2012. So we haven't had any movies from him in a very, very long time. And uh, so we're just kind of celebrating 
his movies, going through his filmography in chronological order and uh, celebrating all those movies. Cause I really, in my opinion, don't think he ever made a truly bad movie. So it's been, it's nice too. And you were just on talking about um, Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise from 1990 that he did. So um, that was a fun conversation. Again, I feel like you really helped carry that one. <laughs> so I still appreciate it, but um, yeah, it's been fun to do it. And I love just talking about Tony Scott cause I think he's a fantastic director and one of my favorites. Yes, it's a very, very fun series. I really encourage people to go check that out. Even if you're not that into Tony Scott movies, like it's just a great deep dive into a filmmaker. And honestly, like regardless of who the filmmaker is, I just always think that's an interesting thing. So I definitely encourage people to check that out. But today we're going to be talking about The Dirty Dozen. And Matt is forcing me out of my comfort zone for this one (laughs) because I have been very open on this podcast several times that I don't really like war movies. Um, However, I've seen two fairly recently, both of which I've talked about in the podcast before that I've really, really liked. Uh, There's a Hammer movie called Yesterday's Enemy that's a war movie that I ended up loving. Uh, There is a Stanley Kubrick movie called Paths of Glory that I recently talked about with Adam Risky on our Stanley Kubrick episode, and I loved that movie. So I don't know, like maybe I'm warming up to these war movies, or maybe I just happened to see a couple of outliers recently, but... um, I was very curious to go into this because I can't say I was excited to watch The Dirty Dozen, but I was curious if it was going to work for me or if it was going to be like most every other war movie I've seen that I don't like. So let's get into the movie specifically. Uh, It is called The Dirty Dozen from 1967. Uh, Let me just get out my unroll my biblical scroll here to tell you a little bit about the cast of this movie. Uh, it is starring Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, Jim Brown, John Cassavetes, Richard Jekyll, George Kennedy, Ralph Meeker, Robert Ryan, Terry Savalas, Donald Sutherland, Clint Walker, Robert Weather, and more. Major Risen, you are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners, convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. Either you can follow up in training and be shipped back here for immediate execution of sentence, or you can follow up in combat, in which case I will personally blow your brains out, or you can do as you're told, in which case you might just get by. Twelve American military prisoners in World War II are ordered to infiltrate a well-guarded enemy base and kill the Nazi officers there to disrupt the chain of command. The soldiers, most of whom are facing death sentences for a variety of violent crimes, agree to the mission for the possible commuting of their sentences. So if the premise for that movie sounds familiar to you, it may be because a comic book movie recently came out called The Suicide Squad that happens to have basically the exact same premise of this movie in that the government takes criminals, many of whom are sentenced to death, some of whom are just sentenced to life in prison, and forces them to do a suicide mission, uh, or else the person in command threatens to kill them, they step out of line in any way. So, Matt, I don't know if you picked this movie because it's topical, because of the Suicide Squad uh, connection, or is there some other reason that you decided to talk about this? 
I'm glad you asked because there's a few reasons. So <laughs> I had been like desperately searching for something to talk about on Cobbos with you because I know you try to do pre-70s movies and, uh, you know, things like that. And I was just like, it's not my wheelhouse. I've openly admitted I'm not the big, like I'm not that super knowledgeable of classic cinema, earlier cinema, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s even. But um, so I was looking for something and Dirty Dozen obviously been, uh, has been on my radar for a very long time. It's like a known classic movie. Um, and it, yeah, it was, Suicide Squad that kind of um, kind of put it back on my radar because they basically lifted the poster of Dirty Dozen and did their own poster of Suicide Squad. And it was that little connection that was like kind of the nudge to finally watch Dirty Dozen. I think it was the same week that uh, Suicide Squad came out that I was like, oh, I should probably finally watch Dirty Dozen. And it's on HBO Max. Um, and I was like, well, it's right there. So, uh, and it's two and a half hours long, which was a thing that kind of, I think, kept me away from it for a while too, because sometimes longer movies and like, I don't know, but um, yeah, just the, the combination of looking for something to talk about with you on the show and that suicide, suicide squad coming out and the connections in the plot and the poster and me finally watching Dirty Dozen and I'll just say right off the bat, really enjoying it uh, kind of led me to reaching out to you and saying, Hey, how about Dirty Dozen? <laughs> well, let's talk about war movies a little bit. Uh, is this a genre that you're really into? No, here's the other funny thing. I don't like war movies. <laughs> it's like I genuinely, like I generally don't enjoy them that much. Uh, although I say that, but the ones that I can think of that I have seen, I do like. But I, I think the problem I have with war movies sometimes is the bigger they get, the less I care. The smaller scale they get, the more I'm interested. So Dirty Dozen really to me is less of a war movie and more of like a a man on a mission movie. Um, even something like Saber Private Ryan has that crazy opening beach scene. It's huge, but then it becomes a much smaller squad of guys, men on a mission movie, trying to find you know, Matt Damon in that movie. Um, so when they kind of pare things down to like a smaller group of guys, even in the midst of a huge world war, I'm more into that. I'm not into like larger scale war movies. Um, and I can't even think of the top of my head that I have seen that I liked, but, but yeah, you got to pare it down for me. Cause I can't really get on board when it's just kind of a huge war movie and there's too much going on. Like I'm more of like men on a mission movie type guy, <laughs> man, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth or maybe just like kind of put it better than I had thought previously. But I love what you said about paring it down. Cause I also like, I don't like, I generally don't like big historical epic movies and that's what a lot of war movies yeah. tend to be. <laughs> If I just look at a screen and I see a bunch of dudes in the exact same military uniform, like my brain kind of checks out. I'm like, I don't like looking at this, especially like <laughs> I don't like watching a bunch of guys in camo walk through the jungle. Uh, that's just kind of a visual element that like I don't care about at all. And I don't really like big patriotism in war movies. And like if the plot is the guys from this country need to go kill the guys from this country because the government officials say so, I don't care, you know? Like, that's right. not a story that I'm interested in at all. But I'm starting to feel like maybe, maybe war movies for me are kind of like musicals for you in that I'm probably <laughs> never going to seek out a war movie on my own. Like, I have to be forced to. But if I'm forced to, I might find ones that I like. Like I said, like Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory was like a perfect war movie for me because it's short and it's very much about distrust of the government and like the, the the military themselves are more of an enemy in that movie than like the other the people from the other country. And that's like a plot that I find a lot more interesting than 
got to kill the people from this country because the president says we should, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, um, that's kind of the same way I am. It's when it's too, when the scale's too big, it's harder for me to care. I need more like personal stakes. I want to like get to know the guys. Like you said, if it's all guys, like too many guys all wearing the same uniform, it's all like, eh. and the thing about jury doesn't I like is that like you get to really know the 12 guys and they're all very distinct. I feel like they're all like, all a lot of great actors in this movie but they're all very distinct looking guys like they have personalities that you can kind of recognize like and it works on that level where you get to know them more in big war movies people kind of get swallowed up because like the real military it's like they're kind of cogs in a machine you know dunkirk yeah (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't gonna take any shots at dunkirk but i (laughs) no i yeah i have problems with dunkirk too i just couldn't yeah he wanted to be like faceless nameless soldiers but I don't know how that that's not going to be the kind of board where like, I don't want faceless, nameless guys. You know, I just want to get invested in the small group of guys, you know, which is why I like stuff like Sam Pride Ryan or Dirty Dozen, because like it lets you stay with those guys. And they're just kind of like a smaller part of a larger war, which is way, way more interesting to me than just a big, big, huge battle, you know? So that's why I like this. Cause I was hesitant too. Cause I'm like, I don't know, like a World War II movie and like war movies, but I'm like, I know this was a huge influence on Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. And I love that movie. And now watching Dirty Dozen, I'm like, oh, he really just like ripped things off full, you know, whole school, which he's known to do. It's like, you know, yeah. I mean? so he clearly like, it's basically almost a remake of Dirty Dozen in some ways. So, um, but I like that movie. I really like this movie because I like, I don't know how far you want to get into it, but I really do like this cast of guys and like, I just think it's kind of a fun movie and a great like men on a mission movie. And there are some things I have issue with (laughs) in the movie that, that I'm like, well, this would be done differently if it was nowadays, which you could think is a good thing or a bad thing. But um, overall, I think it's just a fun movie with like an excellent cast from top to bottom. All right. Well, I think the cat, I'll just let the cat out of the bag now with my feelings on the movie. I absolutely adore this movie, Matt. Oh, fantastic. Oh my okay. God. It is so freaking awesome. I loved it so much. And I'm so happy you forced me to watch it because I don't think I ever would have put this on on my own. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad you liked it. I mean, suspense because I, I was joking, I think, off mic with you about like you'd log in Letterbox. I didn't know what you had no rating on it. So I had no <laughs> idea how you felt about it. And I felt like you hinted some ways that you didn't like it. So I was kind of like, oh, what did Daniel think about this? Uh, so no, I'm so happy to hear that you liked it because again, I kind of, yeah, picked it and forced you to watch it. And I was like, well, I hope Daniel likes it because I kind of, you know, gave it to him to get on his podcast. So I'd, I'd hate if you, uh, you didn't like it. So no, that I'm so happy you adored it. That's fantastic. Yeah. For me and my personal taste, it kind of does everything right for a war movie. It does everything I want to see. Like the patriotism aspect really gets rid of that completely. Like Lee Marvin (laughs) is very much a rebel. He does not really care about the chain of command or whatever. Um, And neither do anyone in this, (laughs) this group because they're all, they're well, at least on paper, terrible guys, bad soldiers. They don't care about the military or the country or any of that. Um, and Lee Marvin has a great thing when he's arguing against this plan that Ernest Borgenine is the gen- the general has come up with he says like, well, these men have nothing to lose. They're on death row. There's no reason for them to obey anything I say. And that's when Ernest Borgenine finally is like, all right, fine. We'll tell them if any of them distinguish themselves, we'll commute their sentence, whatever. Um, so that's kind of the only possible motivation they have, but even that's like not quite enough. I think what really motivates them is just 
Lee Marvin's character as the major and that he is such a good leader and he's so like perfectly tough on them in a way they can really respect. But when they've earned it, he really gives them mutual respect and will even reward them. Like I, I kind of love the scene when, uh, He's like, all right, well, you guys are almost done with your training, so I guess you deserve a graduation ball or something. And he just gives them some whiskey and then drops off a bunch of girls for them to party with. And that's just like <laughs> the kind of things that he'll do for his for his men. Like he he doesn't look at them as just a bunch of dirtbags, even though some of them are dirtbags. Like I kind of loved in that scene, like he keeps Terry Savalas out of there because he's the true disgusting dirtbag. Like, yeah, you don't yeah. get to take part in this. <laughs> I thought also it was because he knew Telly Savalas would not want any part of it because he's like the weirdly religious guy who thinks everything's a sin. So he would want to party with a bunch of girls and, and, uh, and yeah, we can get into it more. I think it's funny how like, they're all supposed to be bad guys, but like from the beginning, the one guy I think is really like the bad guy. And it turns out to be kind of true down the road is that Telly Savalas is like the real piece of shit of the group. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's the real terrible one of the group. <laughs> yeah. But the, other than that, like a lot of them are just like, guys who have problems with authority, like James, um, I almost said James Franco, John Cassavetes as Franco <laughs> uh, is a phenomenal character. And he starts out like such an asshole, always talking back. He won't take any shit from Lee Marvin or anything, but he ends up being a great member of, of the group and being kind of like a leader uh, among this team. Um, great, great John Cassavetes performance. I loved him in this. Yeah, he's great. He really stands out even like it's a, you know, a lot of people in this movie, it's hard to stand out. And he's one of the standouts because um, he's so, his personality is like different than everybody else. And he just kind of has this, <laughs> like he looks crazy half the time. I don't know how to describe it. Like he just looks like he's up to some stuff. And um, <laughs> like, yeah, he's great. Like I, it's Jim Brown is great. Charles Bronson, of course. Um, and I, I got to back to Lee Marvin because Lee Marvin, think about how tough a part that is to cast. We have all these, like all these actors, this dozen guys, we're all a bunch of tough guys. We got to find some guy who can believably lead these guys and believe that he have authority over them. And they'd listen to him and like leave Marvin's like the perfect choice for that. I don't know who else could have done that part. Um, I think there was talk of like John Wayne doing that part, which maybe could work. I don't know, but uh, Lee Marvin has like a different, like down and dirty toughness. Like to me, like John Wayne has too much like a clean cut thing, but Lee Marvin almost feels like he could be one of these guys. Like he's like one step away from like, getting some major trouble with the arm, you know, the art military too. <laughs> so he's like the perfect guy to lead these guys, like perfect casting choice. I thought. Absolutely. I, I was going to ask you who your favorite cast member is in this. And mine is Lee Marvin. And it's so funny that, um, you mentioned that John Wayne might have gotten this part because I was kind of comparing Lee Marvin to John Wayne watching this. And I'm like, Lee Marvin makes John Wayne look like such a weakling. Yeah. Like, Lee Marvin is the manliest man I've ever seen in my life. And one of my favorite things about him is his power and masculinity is so underplayed. Like he's not going to raise his voice to you. Like he'll just kind of ruin your life by very calmly <laughs> and uttering one sentence. Like he is the toughest, most intimidating guy I've ever seen. And I love him in this. He's so much fun to watch. <laughs> he's so good. Um, I It's funny because, it made it sound like he's my favorite. Uh, he's one of my favorites. My favorite guy, though, is still I love Jim Brown in this movie. Oh, nice. As Je Jefferson, I love Jim Brown. In this I feel like for some reason to me, he's the most like likable of the guys. Even though I like a lot of the guys, but like something about Jim Brown like just really works for me. I, I wish he almost had more to do, honestly, because I just think he's super cool. But uh, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite when you've got so many 
great people in the movie but like um yeah this uh, lee marvin i think i became a lee marvin fan like in the past like month because like watching this and a couple other things i watched um kind of to prepare for like dusting off portion at the end i'm like wow i think i'm a huge lee marvin fan what have i been doing my whole life <laughs> <laughs> i'm feeling the exact same way because for so long i'd really only seen him in his 1950s career which is usually playing a villain in a western or a noir and that's mostly what i'd seen from him except like delta force with chuck norris oh, yeah. um but i love his 1960s career as anti-heroes basically uh it's like there's a big difference between brown-haired lee marvin and white-haired lee marvin <laughs> and like brown-haired lee marvin is a piece of shit bad guy in a western or a noir and white-haired lee Marvin is is your tough guy anti-hero in a in a real tough countercultural 1960s movie you know yeah I Lee Marvin has like the air of like he could be an honorable guy but he could also like stab you in an alley like you yeah. turn, <laughs> if you like pissed him off like he could just really mess you up and uh yeah he's got he something special about him that like I don't want to sound like we're like bemoaning like the death of like real men you know what i mean like there's like a toxic masculinity element I don't want, but like he has a real genuine like toughness that is hard to find amongst amongst actors the more modern actors i feel like i mean it probably comes also from not just him but a lot of these guys were actually in world war ii like they actually like served time in the military um kind of went through that um not wishing me to go through a world war, but I'm saying like it would definitely change you in your perspective and give you like a real like authentic toughness. And he has this like air of like, he's not trying too hard to be the toughest guy in the room. He kind of leads to like a quiet confidence and like the idea that like, I feel like he does put on these guys like, if you cross me, I could like snap your neck. And like, if I wanted to, you know, like yeah. he could kill you real quick. So yeah, he's just, he's the best. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, a decorated soldier in World War II. He even has a purple heart. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, and John Wayne did not serve in the war, so that might kind of show you the yeah. difference between their toughness levels. I always find that interesting that he put that tough guy image out there and he didn't serve in the war. So. Yeah, and he's always, like, as a person, like, he's always mouthing off about, like, who's American enough and who's tough enough and blah, blah, blah. And John Ford used to really tear him down and be like, you pussy, you didn't even serve in the war. <laughs> John Ford was such a dick to him. I've heard those stories. I love those stories. It's like, I'm coming around. And we talk about this like, we can't somewhere. I'm coming around to John Wayne a little more because he's a guy I really didn't like because um, he was like my stepdad's favorite guy. And I just thought he was so old timey and like wooden. And like, I just don't get John Wayne. But like, I'm, I finding stuff that I like him a little more, but yeah, overall it's like, he does try to put this like kind of puff out his chest a little bit too much. And like, I'm so American and so tough. And it's like, you're really not that tough. You know? <laughs> calm down, calm down, John Wayne. You're no yeah, Lee Marvin. Down, John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I think you're right about uh, Jim Brown, maybe being the most likable. And one of the reasons for it is, is we get some of the guy's backstory why they're in prison and we get his. And it's basically that there were some soldier, some racist soldiers pushing at him and uh, and he lashed back out and I think like nearly beat them to death. And that right there makes him more likable. You're like, oh, good for you, dude. Like it sucks that they <laughs> sentenced you to get in prison, but those guys probably deserved it. Yeah. Like he has a, a like a rightful you know reason to defend himself and be there. And yeah, probably has like the most uh, justified reason for being in the position he's in. So <laughs> and they just it seem like they kind of. There's a couple comments about them treating him differently because he is black at this time. Like, so you kind of feel for him because he's in a tougher spot than the other guys. So, and Jim Brown's just like so cool. Like another guy, I think I'm coming around to where I'm like, I should watch more Jim Brown movies. He's awesome. <laughs> so, um, which will come up later. But yeah, no, Jim Brown just has like a coolness about him and like 
a likability that I've, I'm finding now and, and really enjoying. So, yeah, he's not really a guy that was on my radar, but I did watch another Jim Brown movie too, that I was hoping to talk about. So, um, I'm also becoming a fan of him. And then another thing this movie really does right. And, and it's a reason that, that I like it more than a lot of other war movies is I love how simple and stripped down the mission is. Like, I'm not really interested in military strategy, and I don't want to see people, like, discuss all the interest, all the all the tiny details of some kind of plan and blah, blah, blah. And I love that this mission is get into this building and kill as many Nazis as possible. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> that's all I need. That is all I need. Thank yep. you for being simple. Dirty dozen. <laughs> I'm on board. And I love how they, they walk you through that plan. Like, they mm -hmm. walk you through their plan. It's still very simple. They have a little, like, model set up of the castle. And, you know, they have, they have a little rhyme scheme they go through. I can't remember the whole thing right now. But, like, every, you know, it's like one, two. And they walk you through the steps one by one and have a little rhyme thing and go through it. And uh, it's a very simple plot. It's like, get in, kill all the Nazis you can disrupt the chain of command like that's it um which i appreciate uh, it's and it's funny because i mentioned like kind of what i'm like i had i thought i had some issues like it's it is two and a half hours long and i thought it moves pretty well for the most part i do think there's a i'm curious about your take on this there's a whole section like in the middle that i think could almost be completely chopped out oh the war games the war games and you wouldn't really hurt the movie much at all honestly or you could boil down like a quick montage or something but i was like it didn't bother me too much but i did think like if this was made now they would lop this whole war game section out and just get them right to the mission at the end i mean i'm curious to take on that that section <laughs> you're not necessarily wrong but i did <laughs> love that section because it kind of fits the um the 80s comedy template of snobs versus slobs uh-huh. <laughs> it really true. fits that where it's almost like uh like it maybe it's um maybe it's a college comedy and maybe it's like the fraternity Greek games and you've got like the pretentious rich blonde haired uh fraternity guys that are sort of like the military establishment and then you've got the slobby underdog guys um you know you could you could even compare it to like monsters university that's exactly <laughs> what happens in monsters university um and it's just like kind of fun to watch underdogs show up the snobby guys you know so so it's like um this movie that's one thing I love about it is it's a great classic classic of cinema, but it doesn't forget to be fun and kind of funny at times. I do feel like we have too many directors nowadays that think if I'm going to make a serious movie and like get Academy Award nominations, I need to be as grim and serious as possible. I mean, that's Denis Villeneuve. A lot of times that's Christopher <laughs> Nolan. And I think it's unnecessary. I'm like, movies can be enjoyable. Uh, like Martin Scorsese really gets that. And the Dirty Dozen really gets that. And so there's just a lot of fun in the middle of this pretty serious movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Scorsese thing's interesting because we had talked about Goodfellas and I think we just recorded. And I was watching that thinking that's a very serious Oscar-nominated movie. And there's still a lot of funny stuff in Goodfellas. Like, it's so it's not, funny. It's so funny. Like, it's not scary to be funny because it, it's such a good movie. It's not like, oh, we can't be, we be deadly serious about these gangsters. Like, it's still funny. So um, I do appreciate, like, yeah, the comedy of that War Games thing. It, it's a great, that's a great comparison. It does feel like one of those, like, rich kids versus like uh the poor kids or something where it's like or like the snobby people versus the the not snobs or the punks or whatever because they really get one over on them and it's it is like a more it does add more to them bonding as a group because that's like a huge part of the beginning of the movie too is to get these guys to bond together um as a as a unit because otherwise they're just gonna like fall apart or you know they have the one thing where one guy tries to run off on his own 
And Lee Marvin had said, if anybody gets out, I'm just going to kill all of you. So that kind of bonds them to like, no, you like they stop. Uh, oh, who, who was it? Who's escaping? I'm blanking. Franco. Right now. And, okay. Franco and Bronson and uh, Jim Brown stop him and basically beat him up. And we're like, nope, we're not having that. And it's like little stuff like that. Lee Marvin does to implement like them bonding as a unit, which is like, all, I love all that stuff at the beginning where they're trying to like, you know, they're being kind of uh what's the word uh <laughs> kind of just like, like punks almost and then they have to yeah. bond and find this common ground um really enjoy that stuff and it's it's just super it's super fun i don't know i just i was surprised i was surprised how funny and how like um you know like uh light the movie was at certain points for it kind of gets kind of dark near the very end but it's, it has a lot of fun touches before that though <laughs> Yeah, and the like Lee Marvin has so many great funny lines. Like so many. <laughs> I just have to share a couple of them. Like there's a part where Franco kind of tries to come at him or whatever and, and Lee Marvin takes him down pretty easily. And he later says to him, You know, if you're gonna act tough, you should really learn to take care of yourself. You really should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's great stuff. I um I love I do I also I love how Lee Marvin like uses the uh he gets them to fight over something or he gets them to commonly bond. They want uh hot water. And he tells, that's his plan. Basically he tells like his like kind of second command, like the best thing that can rally them together is if they have a common goal and they want the same thing. So if I, you know, get them all to bond over, we want, we want hot water. We've had a cold water, then they'll bond as a unit. And it, it works brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. He really has that typical military training strategy of break them down before you build them up. And he yeah. really does that. And like, he starts out like the common enemy, like the asshole who they all hate. But then like once he builds them up and, and he, and they start to respect him, he gives them respect right back. Exactly. Yeah. Like he, he feels like he's not, yeah, but not like he is above them. Cause he's their leader, but like, he's not better than them. Cause I feel like he kind of like relates to these guys in some way. I, I got that vibe that he kind of, like I said, I feel like he could be one of these guys if things went a little differently, you know, because <laughs> he's kind of a rebel. So yeah. like he can relate to them on that on that way. <laughs> yeah. And even when they when they finally go on the mission, and which is like the last 45 minutes of the movie, he's down there on the ground right with them. Like he doesn't just send them out on a suicide mission and then hang back. Like he's on the suicide mission with them. Yeah. Like he's the kind of leader that will do it with you. Like a lot of bosses or leaders will kind of you know, tell their, <laughs> their underlings to do their work. And they kind of sit back like, he could have stepped back like with binoculars and watch the whole thing go down. But he like goes in there undercover and is right there with them fighting. So he's that kind of, that also helps too. I feel like when you know you're with someone who will go in there with you and not just send you out there, you know, to, to die presumably because, and he gets his hands dirty. So another way that he kind of like uh, is a good leader for them. Yeah, man, this movie is so good. I'm so glad you made me watch this. <laughs> I love it so much. This is better than I could have expected. I did not know. I did not know how much you're going to like this. I know you're not a big fan of war movies, but I was thinking like, I can't remember if I said it to you or not. I was like, this is not going to be your typical war movie. Cause it, to me, it was not at all what I thought of as a standard war movie. And I don't know about you. I was like hooked right from the beginning. Cause they basically set up like Lee Marvin and like the higher up set him up with the plan. And then that awesome opening sequence where they kind of do like the roll call and they introduce the, the dozen. I was like, I'm in from like the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> like, Yes. All the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That opening credits comes like 12 minutes into the movie where it just hits dirty dozen on the screen. And then it goes through the cast while they're doing that roll call and everything. And it's, it's so good. awesome. <laughs> yeah. That part, I was like, okay, I'm in movie. I'm a, whatever you want to do. This is super cool. I'm into it. It's like, yeah, I, I really loved it. I, it was a surprise for me. Like I said, I kind of a movie that was just almost like a movie that I'd heard about for years and almost kind of felt like 
I don't want to say homework, but like a classic that was talked about so much. I'm like, okay, Dirty Dozen, I'll watch it someday. Um, did not expect it to be as cool or as fun as it is. Um, and like I said, I think the two and a half hours put people off, but I think it does move fairly well, even though I said you could lop out a whole section of the movie. But but I think for being two and a half hours, it, it moves pretty well. And that last 30, 45 minutes of the actual mission is like, probably my favorite stuff in the movie i don't know how much we can spoil or give away but um that ending is is pretty great like it, it pays off well <laughs> yeah i love that mission too and i actually didn't know going into it that it was an influence on inglorious bastards but watching that mission especially i'm like oh this is very inglorious <laughs> bastards for sure yeah even down to like charles bronson and lee marvin going in and charles bronson has like very shaky german yeah um which reminds me of glorious bastard that the italian is like <laughs> very you know puncher and like brad pitt having to do italian like so it's not played as much for laughs like that but like yeah charles bronson's german is like not strong at one point lee marvin's like how's your german holding up and he's like those two guys who passed on the stairs i couldn't understand a word they were saying so they're already in like the whole mission is dicey i love how the whole mission like they have a plan but like if one thing goes wrong the whole thing could fall apart. You feel that. And it kind of, everything is so dicey that if like one thing goes wrong, the whole thing could be blown and it's very tense and just uh, like really well directed that whole like sequence of them. Op- There's so much going on people outside, people in the building, uh, Lee Marvin and Bronson undercover as German officers. Like, so there's so much to cover, but I feel like it's so well done and edited. You're not really ever lost, but you're, it's also, you know, very tense and well done. You're just super drawn into the whole plot. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, it reminds me of um, when Adam Risky and I were talking about the heist and the killing where like the plan is simple enough that you get it and you understand what they're doing, but it's kind of just barely hanging on the whole time. And mm-hmm, that just yeah. <laughs> makes it way more intense that like your protagonists are pulling it off, but barely like this, the sequence <laughs> is so intense when Bronson is just trying to get the grappling hook to hook onto the onto the roof and like it fails the first couple of times. That's really intense. Oh yeah. That, that that's the part I was kind of thinking of. That made me like so nervous. I'm like, oh no, hook it. Like you're that you're you're sucked into it. You're like, you hook it. Like you're really you're that's a great sign of a movie when you're kind of sitting there like, oh, I hope he gets this. You know, <laughs> it's like I was like, he's gotta get that hook on. Like I was so into that, just him trying to hook that grappling hook. <laughs> so oh, I was just so on board for what like these guys and their mission. And I felt like I was like, I was in it. I was like, yeah, yeah, we got to pull this off. Right. <laughs> but so, so scared for them and so nervous. Cause you're like, this thing is real shaky. Like this is like a boat made out of like, uh, you know, like uh duct tape and plastic. Like it's like, it's like this thing is like cobbled together, like, you know, one, one misstep. And these guys just, the whole thing gets blown and you're like, and I like most of them. So I don't want anything bad to happen, which unfortunately does happen to a few of them. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, they really set up well before the mission gets started, how ridiculously dangerous this mission is. That's why they're there because the army doesn't want to send a bunch <laughs> of good soldiers in to all die. And they know that this is probably a suicide mission. And because there's no sequel and they're not hoping to make a franchise or anything, any of them could die. You have no idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I had no idea who's going to live or die. I figured like, yeah, they hype it up a lot. This is a suicide mission and uh, you don't know you're nervous. Like, who's going to make it. Who's not going to make it. Um, you know, and it, yeah, it plays really well with that. And like, it's good. They're not setting up like a dirty dozen shared universe or anything. <laughs> so there's no franchise we built here. It's like, we're making one movie just doing what we can. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's so, it's so good. I had no idea where it was going to go. Cause I knew so little, 
really about the movie. Like I kind of knew the basic premise, but I did not, you know, watch a trailer or anything, obviously. But so I didn't know how it was going to end up and um, took some turns I did not expect. And um, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything. I don't want to spoil anything. No, no, that's okay. We're, we're, okay. we're talking in depth about a very famous popular movie. I think. <laughs> um, and I think people would still watch it if I say who lives or who dies, because it's still super interesting. Um, yeah. But I was surprised by the Telly Savalas kind of like bad guy turn. I mean, he's they set it up that he is unhinged and he really goes full unhinged when he's in that uh, that castle and he kind of that's the kind of thing that starts blowing the mission is him and uh, that caught me off guard. I was like, oh god damn it, Telly Savalas, you piece of shit! Like I was so mad at him. I was like, ah, oh, you ruined it. I knew you were bad from the beginning. And um, the Jim Brown has to shoot him, you know. And it's just like then the whole thing starts to kind of fall apart a little bit and. Uh, yeah, I mean, just so many pieces that uh, elements that I was like, you're so invested in, didn't know where it was going to go. And I kind of love that. I had no idea where it was going to go or who was going to live, who was going to die, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that um, and Terry Savalas also almost gives their mission away, which is another example of the mission barely hanging on and that he's such a gross piece of shit. He can't help but be gross and creepy to some woman who comes upstairs, uh, even though it's totally unnecessary. And um, and she screams. So you think, oh, this is it. But then the Nazis just like crack a joke about hearing a woman scream and then laugh and then move right. on. And you're like, oh, OK, they, they're Nazis. They don't they're care Nazis. about yeah, some women under distress. <laughs> Oh, right. They're Nazis. They don't care about a woman being possibly assaulted upstairs. Yep, <laughs> yeah. So yep. that's, it's funny. Yeah. You think they're going to blow right there, but then like not quite, but then he has to shoot, Jim has to shoot Telly Savalas. And then it's like, oh boy, things have really gone off the rails here. Um, was there anybody, I'm curious about this. Was there any of the 12 that you were like, well, I'm sure that person's going to live. Or did you think they were all, uh, you know, they could all be killed? <laughs> I think only Lee Marvin. That's kind of what I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> the only person I thought was safe was Lee Marvin. <laughs> yeah. And even like Charles Bronson gets shot. And I was like, I was kind of surprised by that, but not like super surprised, but he ends up making it. He just it survives a bullet wound and Lee Marvin survives a bullet wound too. That's true. Yeah. They both do. They get injured, but then they, uh, they do make it. And then I, I, the other Lee Marvin's kind of like right hand man. Uh, was it Sergeant Bowen? Bowen? The guy, uh, he's kind of with him the whole time. Yeah. Uh, I know you're talking about. Surprisingly, makes out unscathed, I think. I'm like, that's not the guy I thought would make it out unscathed in this whole thing. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just curious. Yeah, Lee Marvin's the only guy I felt like, well, he'll probably make it. And he still gets injured. But uh, um, I was very I was very sad when Jim Brown didn't make it. I was like, oh, no, I really wanted him to live. He kind of gets like a, he goes out kind of in a blaze of glory a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so, but uh, I was I was really bummed about that one. Was there anybody you were, sad that didn't make it that you, like character you liked the most or was <laughs> i think i was the most bummed by jim brown i yeah. really wanted him to make it but at least he's the guy that gets to set off all the bombs and boy they it's... really blow that place to hell <laughs> which is awesome yeah they're oh just my dumping God. grenades and gasoline in there like crazy <laughs> hey yeah that it's pretty dark when you think about what they're doing like they are it's some really like, guerrilla warfare tactics like trapping these nazis in like this ba basement like dumping grenades and like gasoline they just blow it all to hell and like um it's funny do you read the there's a piece of trivia that was really interesting about they built this whole chateau for the ending and they built it too well because they couldn't easily blow it up they were like we're gonna need <laughs> a shit ton of explosive we gotta we gotta do something else here we can't blow this up we're gonna need too much explosives and it won't blow up so they had to build like a little extra piece or something to show blow up or i can't remember it was like they they built it too well so they couldn't blow it up easily so they had to blow, blow up another thing they built <laughs> interesting i did not know about that <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it pays off like the mission, you build up this whole mission and it really, um, 
it delivers, I would say. <laughs> so now that I feel like I'm kind of warming up to war movies, uh, there's one massive classic of cinema I've always known that I should watch, and I'm always putting off because it's a war movie. And I'm wondering what you think. Have you seen Apocalypse Now? I have, but it's been a very, very long time. Like, I think I was a teenager, like, 14, 15, like, getting into movies. And Apocalypse Now is, like, one of those movies where you're like, I have to watch Apocalypse Now. You know, it's like Godfather, yeah. that. It's like, so I felt like I watched it, and I don't know how I even, I can't remember if I even liked it or not. I don't think I was the biggest fan of it. I think it was probably over my head at that age and okay. probably too long. And, and now there's all these cut, there's different cuts of it. So um, I don't even know what the best cut to watch of it is, but I need to rewatch. It's one of those movies I've seen, but I definitely need to rewatch because I have like hardly any memory of it, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. I think, I think the thing that I usually expect from older war movies that this movie definitely does not have. And I don't think that movie does either from what I've heard is like, I don't want the 1940s world war two propaganda movies that are like mm -hmm. specifically made to pump up Americans that like, yeah, we're awesome. And we're winning the war, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like I don't want to watch that. Like, I like the anti-authority, anti-establishment edge of this movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has that. I mean, the guys that are in the group are guys that, like, have been put in either sentenced to death row or, like, life in prison by their own government. So they have no love, I think, for the American government at this point, you know, or the American military because they've basically been condemned by them. Um, that definitely makes it more interesting. It's not like a rah-rah um you know, America movie. It's just like, let's kill Nazis, which is like, the Nazis are funny because they feel like they're like the last enemy we can all agree on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're the, <laughs> like the Nazis, you can just kill Nazis all day long and nobody's upset about it, rightfully so. But it's like, they're like the last like clear cut black and white bad guy, that real world like bad guy that we've had. So, I mean, that makes it easier. <laughs> You're like, yeah, kill all the Nazis you want. Um, and But it's not a raw, raw America movie. It's just like, you know, and they, they these guys have probably run away from this mission if they didn't have the promise of their their freedom over their head like they're just doing it because they want to get free I'm, I'm i'm sure they want to kill nazis too I th but i think jim brown has a line about like this isn't even his war which kind of implying like you know he as a black man in america it's like he's got his own problems you know it's yeah. like he doesn't need to fight the nazis <laughs> like um you know he's like that's america's war i'm like i got other stuff to worry about and um so yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure they're happy to do it, but <laughs> to kill the Nazis. But um, it's interesting too, because you mentioned these like rah-rah World War II movies. And then it's so funny to compare those to Vietnam movies. Yeah. I tend to like more because they're usually more interesting because they're set like usually in a jungle. And those movies have such a different tone because most of them are so like, you know, anti-war, why are we here? like such a different tone than world war ii you know it's just completely night and day um so i mean i find those way more interesting as far as war movies go but also a lot of those are like smaller scale because we weren't fighting wars the same way in vietnam obviously that's world war ii so um those are interesting i mean and like like you said i'm not the biggest war movie guy I i'm curious if there's a movie that for years for some reason dirty dozen and this other movie occupy occupy like the same space in my brain I don't know why this happened, but it's like two movies I conflate as the same thing. This and The Great Escape. Have you seen The Great Escape? No, but I totally know what you're saying. Because after <laughs> I watched this, I was like, damn it, I've got to watch The Great Escape. That's how I feel too. And I was like, I don't know why they took, the, there's some movies and actors even um, where like, they're like a one-to-one. -one. I don't know why. Like, and I guess the, these movies came out fairly close together. They have like large casts of guys like on a mission. Um 
that guess that's the comparison. I don't know, but I've heard good things about Great Escape. Another movie that's pretty long, I think almost three hours, that movie. Um, but I've heard good things. I really got to watch that one too, because now I think Fury doesn't. I'm like, well, now I got to check off Great Escape. So um, yeah, I hope I hope that one's good too. Maybe we can jump on that at some point, <laughs> if that one's good. Yeah, yeah. I, Steve McQueen is an actor that I've, I've yet to really make any effort to dive into. You know, I've seen very little Steve McQueen. Me too. I have not seen Bullet. No. Which everyone recommends. I want to see Bullet. I haven't seen it. Um, Great Escape. I saw a random movie that I think was his last movie called The Hunter, um, which was kind of good. It was weird. It kind of felt like a TV movie. Um, I think it might have been, but it was like he played a bounty hunter and um, it was fun because he's like a bounty hunter and it's like a very casual, like this is his job. It's not like super, uh, he, like, he has a home life he goes home to. It's a fun little movie. Um, but I feel like besides that, I can't think of many steve mcqueen movies i've seen honestly so um he seems cool i think i would like him i just haven't really dove into his movies so yeah, yeah me too you know what's funny uh after we decided that like we're going to be on each other's shows in a very close amount of time you know we're doing days of thunder on your podcast and the dirty dozen on this podcast i was thinking oh maybe we should have like done both car movies like maybe we should have picked bullet and oh. I was thinking, I was almost regretting, like, maybe I should have suggested Bullet. But then I watched The Dirty Dozen. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm glad I did this. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. yeah. It was funny because I didn't mention this on my show, but like, like you were kind of the car movie guy. It was like, you're on for Fast 9. You're on for Days of Thunder. It's like Daniel doing car movies. But you told me you like car movies. So. I do. I really well, do. Well, if we both watch Bullet and we like Bullet, maybe we could do that down the road at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm into, I'm into it. I've heard some people call it like slow and boring, but I don't know. Maybe those are people that aren't into older movies. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure. I've heard, you know, what's funny. The best thing I heard about it recently was on pure cinema where I think they brought it up. Cause it was going to be playing at the new Beverly. Yeah. And I can't remember who talked about it, but they made me think about it a whole different way. They made it sound much more interesting than I ever thought it was. Cause like I everyone talks Elric. about, I think it was Elric. Yeah. All he'll talk about is the car chase and bullet. And he was saying that he rewatched it or watched it for the first time. And he's like, no, there's a lot of other good stuff in this movie besides that car chase. So, um, one day I'll watch it one day again with the never ending watch list. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get there. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, still yeah, great escape out of that one and a bunch of other stuff. So, um, but yeah, Dirty Dozen was great. I'm so glad you liked it because I really took a shot in the dark. I was just like, this is my excuse to get on cobwebs, basically. <laughs> it's like, and it worked out well. So that's good. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, I thought it would at least be interesting because you're such an action movie guy. And this is like kind of an example of an early pre-70s action movie, you know? Oh yeah, I was thinking I was watching. I was like, this is definitely like a blueprint for a lot of like action movies that came later. Like, and it's not as like fast paced as later action movies, and some of the action's not as like spectacular, but there's still good stuff in there. You see like the the um, what's the word? The seeds are sown for like later action movies for sure. Uh, in this movie, it could have probably fit into our action fest if it wasn't two and a half hours long. You know, I wouldn't want to play plug that into a marathon, but <laughs> yeah. but um, it could have it could have worked because it is like an early early-ish like typical uh hollywood action movie but it's kind of like a, a forerunner of that so yeah i actually watched one movie leading up to this i'll mention it now because i'm going to mention it in the recommendations okay. portion <laughs> that i thought i would love to program into an action marathon because it's one of the most like badass action movies i've seen pre-70s so i'll get to oh. that soon but that's a little tease okay. <laughs> i'm very curious now which one this was so um yeah i'm trying to think what i'll say about dirty dozen i mean it's a classic i think if people have like you know, heard about it for years and like, oh, Jerry doesn't blah, blah. Like, I think you should really prioritize getting to it because it's really good. And it's, I mean, both of us really liked it and didn't know what to expect. And uh, one of those like Hollywood epic classics that I'm like, oh, it actually lived up to 
to the billing for me, you know? So I find for me, most of the time when I watch those big Hollywood classics, I find I do tend to love them. So it's mm -hmm. weird that I put a lot of them off too much <laughs> and then just end up watching B movies that are released by Kino Lorber or Vinegar Syndrome or something, you know? <laughs> well, there's no pressure on those movies, you know, the B movies, but like, yeah. but there's like a weird pressure on these like classic movies and you just want them to like, live up to that and i think most of the time they actually do but i put them off too because there's like a a weird heaviness to them i'm like oh like i'm sitting down to watch or he does and this is a big deal but like yeah. i don't put that kind of pressure on like some random movie i heard about kino put out like you know or something so i, I get i get that <laughs> yeah it's like you sit down to watch the dirty dozen and you think I don't want to be the one dumbass who doesn't like the dirty dozen because everyone's going to think I'm an idiot, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably part of the pressure too. But if like you watch a movie, no one's ever heard of. And if you love it, you can champion it. And if you don't love it, it's like, no one has to know, you know, what I mean? nobody cares. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't have to talk. No one cares. Don't talk about it. So yeah, that also, that that's a great point. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. I think, I think the last thing I just have to say about dirty dozen is just, I just have to read off my favorite line in the movie which uh, Lee Marvin is like, he's like shockingly disrespectful to this one Colonel. I don't know how he gets away with it, but he says, I owe you an apology, Colonel. I always thought you, that you were a cold, unimaginative, tight-lipped officer, but you're really quite emotional, aren't you? So good. <laughs> Some of the stuff they do to other guys in their own military is like surprising they get away with it. Honestly. I know, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> Listen, I, I yeah, because I know usually they'd, they'd be very tough maybe because they're on that secret mission and they have special authority but uh yeah i was still kind of surprised some of the stuff they get away with <laughs> but i was like again i was enjoying the movie so i was like eh, i'm not going to question it it's fine <laughs> yeah like the colonel comes onto their base when lee marvin right. doesn't want him to and lee marvin literally starts shooting at him and yeah. there are no repercussions <laughs> for this that's the part where i thought okay if you open fire on your own fellow like military guys like that's gonna have a that's gonna be a problem like, you know I, mean? <laughs> so I don't think you can do that even if you don't shoot them if you shoot at them that's still an issue so yeah that was definitely one moment where i thought well that's a little ridiculous but yeah it's fine i'm having fun <laughs> yeah all right so i think it's safe to say we both love this movie uh you want to jump into the recommendation section of the show matt yeah, I'm very excited about this part. I've, I've watched some great stuff and I'm excited to talk about it. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I think I think it's safe to say we're going to talk about some more tough guy movies in the Cobwebs Dusting portion of the show where we're going to take a, a couple of movies more off the shelf that are related to this movie, often by uh, people involved, dust them off and tell you why you should check them out. So Matt, what's your first movie you want to recommend for the listeners? Okay. My first movie, I will preface it by saying like not a great movie, but a super fun movie. <laughs> uh, it is called Three the Hard Way from 1974. Jim Brown. Fred Williamson. Jim Kelly. They've done it before on their own. This one's too big to handle alone. You know, man, you come to town, I know there's going to be trouble. Brown, Williamson, Kelly, the big three, together for the first time, they do it their way. Three the hard way. Three cities and three of us. And it stars like three black exploitation icons. So it has Jim Kelly, Fred Williamson, and Jim Brown from Dirty Dozen. Um, this movie is so much fun. The plot is so over the top. I tell you the plot, you're gonna be like, this can't be real. But <laughs> so <laughs> three, the hard way basically is about um, 
Jim Brown, who I don't know what his actual job is, but he's just a cool guy. (laughs) A friend of his escapes from a secret uh, experimental medical facility and finds Jim Brown and tells him about this plot that's being cooked up by a like shadow group of like white supremacists who their plan is to taint the U.S. water supply with a toxin that's only harmful to black people. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so Jim Brown finds out about this and then teams up with Fred Williamson and Jim Kelly to stop these white supremacists. And it's amazing. (laughs) Like we find Jim Kelly doing martial arts against a bunch of like racist shitty cops. Like that's his intro to the movie. (laughs) It's like Jim Kelly beating a bunch of like racist cops. And then Jim Brown and Fred Williamson kind of stumble upon him and they're like, Hey, what's up, man? (laughs) Just like, and just take him in. And the three of them, basically have to go fight these white supremacists and stop them putting this toxin in the water supply. And they try to like, there's like a, a kind of a kooky scientist character who's like explaining how he worked this up. And it's like, the plot's like so like ludicrous and over the top, but it's like, I mean, just watching these three guys beat up white supremacists is like <laughs> the most fun. And it's like, it moves so fast and so well. And it just like, I mean, just watching these three guys, I could watch them in any movie. Like they're all so cool. Um, I mean, they're just awesome. It's like the ending like pays off like freaking gangbusters, <laughs> like the way that it winds up, like it's just kind of amazing. Like, so besides the ridiculous plot, like, which I think was parodied in, have you ever seen Black Dynamite with Michael Jai? Oh yeah, back in high school. So it's been a while. Some company poisoning just specifically black people. And I'm like, oh, this is three the hard way. And um, they, <laughs> so yeah, three the hard way is like, a ton of fun like i had a blast watching it um it would play great with a crowd i think um it's just a very fun movie i I feel bad because both my picks are not easily streamable but there's a dvd i bought for ten dollars it has three the hard way and three other um black exploitation movies on it on amazon um and it was well worth the ten dollars for sure Okay, yeah, no, that sounds worth the ten dollars. That movie sounds amazing. I love that plot and that cast. My God, Jim Kelly, Jim Brown, Fred Williamson. That sounds phenomenal. I'm super sold on this. <laughs> yeah, I would highly recommend checking it out. Like I said, not streaming anywhere I could find for any kind of price. You can't, but it's like the DVD's ten bucks. You get three of the movies with it, so I think it's totally worth it. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So uh, for my first recommendation, I wanted to watch another Lee Marvin movie. Uh, Specifically, I wanted to watch silver haired, badass hero, (laughs) Lee Marvin. Um, So I watched a movie that's been on my radar for a long time and I finally got around to it, which is Point Blank from 1967, uh, which is directed by John Borman. Walker is an emotional and primitive man. Do you remember when we met? Suddenly... We were together. Lee Marvin is Walker, the hunter and the hunted. And if you want to know, like, what would a typical crime noir be like directed by the guy who made Excalibur? Point blank is that (laughs) because by plot, it's a very typical crime noir. It's about a guy who uh, got double crossed during a robbery, got cheated out of the money that he stole and uh, got sent off to prison. And he breaks out of prison and wants to go on partially revenge, but he also wants to get the money that he was owed back. Um, So plot wise, it's pretty stereotypical, but it's really experimental. And I think it's, it's a movie that, 
it's from 1967, so it's late 60s, but it's very representative of where cinema is going. It feels like it's pushing movies into the 1970s, uh, where a movie might have a slightly more typical plot, but is a lot darker and just the filmmaking is way more experimental because it really is a trippy, almost hallucinatory kind of movie at times. Um, but I thought it was a, just a really cool movie, like not a movie I was super emotionally invested in, I would say, but it's incredibly cool. Lee Marvin is awesome in it. Uh, it has Angie Dickinson. Any movie with Angie Dickinson is worth your time. And there's a scene that I love where he, she, it's clear like she came over to have sex with him and he's not interested and basically tells her as much. And she slaps him in the face, hits him with her purse and continues hitting on him, like hitting him for, I'm not kidding, like one to two minutes straight while Lee Marvin <laughs> just stands there like a rock and just lets her beat on him until she finally gives up and falls to the floor. It's so weird. Like this movie just has so many weird trippy touches, but I thought it was so cool. And I think I saw in Letterbox you watched this movie recently too. I did. I was going to say, I'm so glad I stalked your Letterbox because I didn't <laughs> want to like have crossover in this portion of the show. And I, it was on HBO Max too, point blank. And it been on my radar for a long time as well. I don't know, maybe Pure Cinema put it on there. Um, it's been on there forever. And I was like, oh, I can finally watch Point Break. It's a Liam Marvin movie or Point Break. Yeah, Point Blank. It's hard to say. Uh, Slightly <laughs> less Patrick Swayze in this Yes, light, uh, less Swayze. But no, Point <laughs> Blank is wild. I'm glad they pick it for mine because, yeah, you had it too. And I'm glad we're talking about it though because um, what a weird experimental movie that does feel like very much of like, like a trippy 60s thing going on. Like, oh, it's a 60s, man. Groovy. Like we're getting weird. You know, it's like... Um, because it is a super, like, it could be a generic plot on the surface of, like, Lee Marvin being double-crossed, left for dead, uh, and then goes to get, he just wants his money. I think that's the funniest about Point Blank is he just wants his money, and all the bad guys are just, like, amazed that he just wants this sum of money that's not that much, $93,000, and they're like, that's it? It's like they don't believe him. Yeah, they like don't believe him. They're like, no, no, that kid's right. It's like he just wants his money. He just wants what's owed to him. And but there's so many weird touches like in this movie that um yeah, I wasn't super emotionally into it either, but like I was fascinated at the directing style and the choices and like the score. Like everything is so weird and experimental and not what I expected from like a Lee Marvin 60s movie. <laughs> but like um yeah, he's another super tough guy role for him. But uh, yeah, it's a a very interesting movie that people should definitely look at because it's real weird, real interesting. Um, not anything like what I, I don't know what to expect. And it wasn't like what I thought it was going to be at all. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's very different. It's also the uh, screen debut of John Vernon, who you might see in like 80s horror movies like uh, Curtains and Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So it's cool to see him. And he's the main guy that Lee Marvin wants revenge against. And he like, gets his revenge on accident kind of yeah. it's so weird it's like not satisfying at all but i think that's the point you know yeah yeah it's like a revenge movie that's not super concerned with the revenge part if that makes sense yeah. it's like it's yeah and then the way it ends is kind of like mysterious and weird i mean it kind of fits with the vibe of the whole movie but um yeah i i've i've been thinking about it for like days after i watched it because it, i feel like there's a lot to kind of pour over and I read a couple theories about the movie that kind of made me think about it a different way I won't say them here because it's kind of spoiler ish but um yeah it's so interesting and experimental and just a cool movie that I really really liked 
It's funny. I I it, I kind of put it in the same category as a recent movie that I just saw in theaters, The Green Knight, where oh, yeah. <laughs> Point Blank and The Green Knight are two movies that are weird, trippy, experimental, two movies I wasn't like necessarily emotionally connected to, but I just thought were really cool and I'm glad exist, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a great comparison actually. <laughs> I saw that too and I'm like, yeah, you're 100% right. And like you don't know what's going to happen from next scene to the next and it's like uh the the story is almost secondary to all the just how weird the filmmaking is i mean in a good way how weird the filmmaking is <laughs> like um and you're just going on this journey with this guy to this end point and yeah it's it's so and lee marvin's still really good in it i'm glad he was like game for something that was like so weird like kind of feels like he's the kind of guy that might not be up for this but um but yeah, he's he's committed to the whole thing. <laughs> so I uh, and Angie Dickinson's great too. She was I loved her in this. Um, I love how Carol Connor shows up for like the last twenty minutes of the movie. Who I always think of as like all in the family and like the Heat of the Night TV show when I was a kid. <laughs> like um, it comes out of nowhere as like a, a gangster. Um, yeah, it's just super cool. I don't know. I just I'm glad I finally watched it. I feel like I've been thinking about it forever to finally watch it. I'm glad I finally did. And I just found out there's a, there's another 1960s noir that is actually a remake of a forties noir called the killers. And it's starring Lee Marvin, Angie Dickinson, John Cassavetes, and it's directed by Don Siegel. And now there's like yeah. nothing I want to watch more. I wanted to watch that so bad for the show. I'm going to yeah. tell you right now. Lee Marvin's movies, some of them are hard to find on streaming. Really hard. Yeah, I found the yeah. same thing. And I, so I saw that the killer's movie. And I was like, oh shit, I got to watch this immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and then I couldn't find anywhere. I couldn't find, I don't think I could find a DVD or a Blu-ray. Like, um, so yeah, that was really disappointing because I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. And then, yeah, not available anywhere. And there was a couple other Lee Marvin movies where, I can't remember what they were now, but I'm like, oh, I can't even stream them. Shit. Okay. Well, never mind. <laughs> so yeah, I know. It's a bummer. So I guess I'm gonna track some down physically. Like that killer's movie is actually on Blu-ray from Criterion, I know. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. I did not know that. So all right, Matt. So what's your next recommendation? Okay. So I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna go to Lee Marvin this time from Jim Brown. Stick with Jim uh Lee Marvin here. And uh another movie I feel bad because it's not streaming anywhere, but it has a Blu-ray from Kino. Um, it is called Hell in the Pacific from 1968. But time is 1944. Lee Marvin and Toshiro Mifune find their own Hell in the Pacific. Two men trained to kill, alone on a forgotten island in an endless ocean. Their own private arena of life and death. Their own inescapable Hell in the Pacific. This movie, super interesting. Heard about this. I was like, oh, I've got to watch this like <laughs> like today. And um, blind bought the Blu-ray because I just was like, I'm going to like this. I, it paid off because I really, really dug this movie. Um, so basically the setup for Hell in the Pacific is during World War II, an American pilot played by Lee Marvin uh, ends up on this deserted island um, with a marooned Japanese Navy captain played by uh, Toshiro Mifune. Um, and they're the only two guys on this island. And they're the, literally the only two guys in the whole movie. So <laughs> it is the two of them. Um, they they kind of come across each other. And it's them being very hostile to each other. And just kind of, you know, fucking with each other, basically. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. Like, there's, for a long time, it's like Toshiro Mifune has kind of the really good setup. Like, he's able to... He's got uh, rainwater collecting and he's got like fish traps set up and he's kind of got like a good setup. And for like the first maybe third of the movie, Lee Marvin is basically kind of like, <laughs> it's him trying to sneak in to, uh, to Shira Mifune's camp 
and like steal stuff and then uh Toshiro Mifune catching him and then like running him off like you'd run off like a raccoon in your backyard where he's like get out of here <laughs> like and he's just chasing him away and um there's a lot of like there's not a lot of dialogue obviously there's only two guys but it's it's so well shot it's got this like amazing score I mean I should say the director is John Borman uh who did point blake we just i forgot i didn't think about that uh and deliverance and excalibur and it looks great it's got this amazing score that's kind of weird and like jazzy experimental by um i think lalo Schifrin is his name famously did like the mission impossible score oh okay um, and uh this cool very cool like jazzy kind of weird score that's super important because there's not a lot of like talking in the movie obviously it's just two guys so um it's them kind of bickering the two guys like kind of going back and forth um they almost kill each other a couple times but neither one can ever really do it they imagine killing each other but they don't actually do it um i think they kind of realize like oh we're the only two guys on this island and eventually uh i won't say i won't go too far into it but some things happen um they kind of have to decide like do i keep fighting with this guy do i work with him to survive um and it takes some very interesting turns especially near the end um and i will say one thing uh the ending is really bad the ending is like but on the blu-ray there was an alternate ending that john borman wanted that for some reason that the producers like said changed it and with a different ending which is what you would see on like the theatrical cut but there's a director's kind of this alternate ending that is a much better ending and i've seen if you go on letterboxd everybody is just complaining about the ending to hell in the pacific um and it is not great it is like a weird like the what the fuck just happened type moment (laughs) that does not fit with the rest of the movie but if you do watch it try to find the alternate ending or watch that because it is a much better ending to the movie and i wouldn't want somebody to be soured in the whole thing from a bad ending but i i dug the whole thing i was super into it it's super compelling to watch these two guys um, just go back and forth like in a battle of wills for like an hour and a half and uh, they pull it off like two great actors um, it's a tough job when you you don't get to talk much it's a lot of like you know just nonverbal stuff and like the two of them are so compelling to watch that it completely works and um, if you ever want to see Lee Marvin pee on Tashira Mifune this is your movie because that, that happens at one point. oh my god I've been asking for that for years <laughs> I know you wanted it and guess what it finally <laughs> delivered <laughs> just losing it the scene where lee marvin just pisses on to share like just so like it's so crazy with them going back and forth at each other like it's kind of amazing um so yeah hell in the pacific it's one of my favorite discoveries this whole year honestly it's a great movie i thought oh that's awesome yeah you and i are definitely on a similar wavelength because this is one i really wanted to watch um, because like Lee Marvin and Tashira Mofune, those are like the right. two toughest tough guys who ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this, but yeah, you can't stream this movie anywhere for any price. And I just didn't have time to like get a Blu-ray. So unfortunately I haven't seen it yet, but I will definitely check it out soon. Cause it, it sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm super sold on this. Um, Cause yeah, I, if you've listened to like the past episode we did months ago on Japanese samurai movies, uh, you'll know I'm a huge Tashira Mofune fan. So I would love to see him go up against Lee Marvin. Yeah, I think he's like one of the coolest actors that ever lived. Honestly, I was super into his samurai movies, his Kurosawa movies when I was like younger. Um, and yeah, I just I was watching this reminded like, oh, yeah, he's a great actor. I love this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, he's fantastic. He might he might actually kind of outshine Lee Marvin in this movie. I wouldn't um, be surprised, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's close, but they're both great. But it's like he kind of gets to steal a little more. But um, yeah, so good. I, I've been trying not to blind by stuff as much, but like this was worth it. And I thought it paid off. So 
I mean, there is an easily available Kino Blu-ray on Amazon, but I mean, it was like 20 bucks, but I still thought it was worth it. Cause I, like I said, one of my favorite movies I've seen this year, honestly. So yeah, it was, it was great. So one question, uh, did yes. you mean the ending is bad as like crummy <laughs> or like grim? Uh, bad as in like bad, bad. Like it's like, okay. it's like, Oh, you're like, it's like a real, like, that's the ending type thing. You're like, what? No, that isn't. It's like, it doesn't really make sense or fit from where we've gone in the whole movie. And it's very jarring. And um, yeah, people hate it. Like, I don't think I even hate it as much as everybody else. I think I was more shocked by it than anybody, but, um, okay. but yeah, it's just not, a lot of people really hate it. And I think it tanked the movie for a few people, but I would not let that tank the whole movie for me. Um, it just is a weird ending that kind of comes out of nowhere and it's out of place. And it clearly was not the plan uh from john borman so yeah but luckily there is the alternate ending on the blu-ray just to watch easily and i watched that right after and was like oh okay this is much better <laughs> so yeah <laughs> okay nice uh, all right so for my final recommendation you're going to be excited about this matt uh okay. <laughs> this is this is might be the toughest most violent most kick-ass action at least western action movie i have seen that came out pre-1970 uh, and it's a movie you have recommended previously, Dark of the Sun from 1968. These men are heroes for hire. Violence is their specialty. They are paid to be brave and brutal. Is it true you mercenaries will do anything for money? What are you talking that about? That we're going to pick up $50 million worth of diamonds. You say nothing about giving you hair. Well, I may go, I may stay. <laughs> hey, you want to come? I'll be there. Right! Yes, yes, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Which I was so excited when I noticed that it also had Jim Brown because when I was trying to figure out what movies to watch to like recommend on this episode, I was thinking, this movie I just bought from Warner Archive, Dark of the Sun, seems like a perfect watch to watch with the Dirty Dozen, and it'd be great to talk about it with Matt. And I look at the cover and I see Jim Brown, and I'm like, oh my God, it totally fits. So I can <laughs> I can watch this and talk about it on the show. Uh, so I did, and I loved it, man. It is so violent and tough. And, uh, it's, it's so much fun. Um, so it's starring Rod Taylor, who I'm definitely becoming a big fan of this year. Uh, we just talked about him last week with the time machine and it actually has his time machine co-star Yvette Mimo. Uh, she is in it as well. And I think I remember you talking about it on Warner archive episode and saying like Rod Taylor and Jim Brown are the toughest, tough guys you've ever seen in your life. And they'll make you feel like less of a man. Yeah. <laughs> so true, man. They are so big and sweaty and hairy and tough. It's one of the sweatiest movies I've ever seen. It oh, is a man. very sweaty movie. Um, that was funny. Cause I almost went back to that one. Cause I knew Jim Brown was in it, but then I was like, well, I already talked about it on the Warner archives episode. So I won't like repeat myself, but I'm glad you're bringing it up. Cause um, another movie that I just loved and like a discovery that blew me away and it's so good and like such an amazing like action movie tough guy movie um, yeah it's it's so good I'm glad you liked it <laughs> and I just really can't overstate how violent this thing is I mean there are scenes where you just see bloody bodies all over the place and like there's a scene where children get murdered 
it's super grim for 1968. And there's this bad guy who unfortunately Rod Taylor and Jim Brown have to work with, even though they hate him. Uh, he's played by Peter Karsten. And uh, he's like this uh, guy, Nazi sympathizer, who sometimes wears a swastika on his shirt. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rod Taylor hates him so much. And there are a lot of great scenes of like Rod Taylor telling off racists, anybody who's like disrespectful to Jim Brown, which is always entertaining. Um, and the, the man, these two men just hate each other so much. And it climaxes in this super brutal, bloody fight scene between them. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to say other than like, it's really violent and badass. And like, if you're an action fan and you want to like see more of the origins of action movies, see some older stuff, uh, this is probably one of my top recommendations for sure. Yeah. It's so good. Like, I'm glad you're bringing it up again. And we could have totally programmed in the action fest too. I didn't even think about it for that yeah. episode, but it would have fit as like an early, part of that i think because yeah it is shockingly tough and violent for 1968 i remember that kind of blew me away i'm like this movie is like not playing around for this time like it is just mean and dirty and like yeah it does not mess around and i kind of love that about it (laughs) and i'll also say like i like a lot of rod taylor performances but he's generally always very suave and charming and handsome and that's kind of what he does but this is the most acting i've ever seen him do like i feel like he's really playing a character and he's really digging into this role uh so i think this is the best rod taylor performance i've seen oh cool yeah no i'm like man so glad you liked it <laughs> that's that's great um that's a great pick i it was funny because like with this cast I had so many people to pick from. Like I was almost yeah. on a tough time narrowing <laughs> it down. Like I did so much like research in the past week or two where I was like picking out movies and watching stuff and like saying like, no, not that. Like it was tough to get down to like two. Um, yeah. I'm glad you, so I'm glad you mentioned point blank, which would have been like one of my honorable mentions. Um, can I really quickly mention one movie? Yeah. Man, um, go for like it. a bonus pick here. Um, I didn't get to rewatch it, which is why I didn't get to pick it, but, but um, a movie called hard times from 1975. I almost watched this actually. <laughs> hard times is awesome. And like, I went through like a big Walter Hill phase who wrote directed hard times, like um, a, a year or two ago. And like went back to this one and I, it's like great movie from Walter Hill. Like, um, kind of underrated i think his filmography because it's so early on um but yeah charles bronson is the lead he's like a depression era uh uh drifter turned prize fighter in new orleans who basically hooks up with uh james coburn is kind of like his manager kind of like how to describe it um and oh james coburn is a guy that for some reason for years him and lee marvin were like the same guy in my mind Like, I don't know why, but like, they don't even look that similar necessarily, but like, they were the same person for me. It was like, they just would be blended into one guy. So um, I thought it was funny too, but yeah, I won't say much about it. Yeah. It's just like, um, it's a good movie. I mean, it's Walter Hill, it's Charles Bronson, it's James Coburn, like another great, like tough guy movie. Um, it's really fun. I recommend checking that out. Um, unlike everything else I said, that one is available to stream places. <laughs> so, well, the thing um, is, I actually... I've owned it on Blu-ray for years and I've never popped it in. So I really need to get around to that. Do you have that like Bronson four pack with it on it? I do. I got it at Walmart so many years ago. (laughs) This, yeah, really cheap four pack with like hard times, like three other Bronson movies. And, uh, I think some good stuff on there. So yeah, no, Hard Times is really good. Highly recommend that one. I just didn't get a chance to rewatch it for this. So I didn't want to like go in depth on it, but, uh, I remember really, really enjoying that movie and yeah, I mean, there's just so much good stuff. It was like with this cast, I was like, well, where do I begin with all these guys? They have so many great movies. <laughs> so, but I, I like our picks. There's some good stuff in here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about tough guy movies with me, man. This has been super fun. Yeah, no, this was a blast. I'm just so happy and relieved that you enjoyed Dirty Dozen. I didn't make you watch <laughs> something you hated. <laughs> for two and a half hours. That's a I know. Oh, that would have been the worst too. I spent two and a half hours watching a movie you hate. So. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, no. this was a ton of fun. Thank you for having me on. It was it was great to be on like here on the normal episode solo. Like I feel like finally it's like it's, it's taken a while, but I'm here now. So. Yep, and uh, not solo, but you will be back soon uh, to kick off our our spooky season. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, probably my most anticipated podcast for like the rest of the year, honestly. Like, oh, I'm so, nice, awesome. So excited about that. I'm so happy you're allowing me to be a part of that. So yeah, look, looking forward to that uh, like crazy. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> Sweet. All right, uh, go ahead and plug your stuff, man. Okay, yeah, if people want to follow my podcast, it is called uh, Film Feast. Uh, we are pretty much available anywhere you listen to podcasts, so please subscribe. I really appreciate it. I have great guests like Daniel on, Lindsay Wilkins, Mike Scott, um, I can't, if I name people, it'll go on forever, but like we have so many great people that come on um, and talk all kinds of movies. It's a ton of fun. So um, rec- uh, check that out. That'd be great. I'd appreciate it. Um, you can follow uh, me on Twitter at mattblood 87 um, You can follow my podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. Um, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram, which is just uh, Film Feast, all one word. So yeah, that's, that's all my stuff. <laughs> Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, Well, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to the Cobwebs podcast. Next week, Patrick Bromley from the F This Movie podcast is going to be on for a a great big deep dive into the Hollywood career of Elvis Presley. We're going to be talking about a lot of Elvis movies, and I think it's going to be really fun. So hope you tune in for that. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cobwebs Pod. Follow me personally on Twitter at Epler Daniel. And if you like this, we'd really appreciate a rate and review in whatever podcast app you're listening in, especially the iTunes store. That would definitely help us out. And uh, Uh, Yeah, tune in next time where we're going to talk about more old movies. So we'll see you then. So if you're in a tender mood, tune in next Tuesday. Until then, good night.